This is Author Talk, presented by Author House, the leading provider of services to help authors publish, promote, and sell their books around the world. Author Talk is a show about new books and the authors who wrote them. It's an opportunity for prospective readers to hear directly from the writers, to hear what inspired them to write and publish, and to hear all the inside details about their books. Here is Author Talk with host Steve Jorgensen. The title of the book, Obama 2012, For a Compassionate America. And the author is Jack P. Ferraris. And Jack joins us now on Author Talk. Hello, Jack. How are you? Well, you're very passionate about this. Uh, you were raised in Europe. Uh, you saw the rise of Hitler. You even uh, fought in the war. Uh, we'll get into more about that. But you say that the only way that we're going to preserve our freedom is to reelect President Obama and that uh, you're very concerned about the apathy of the 2010 elections where uh, the Democrats didn't come out and and there's a lot of frustration amongst some who are disappointed because the president has not kept all his promises. But your book is really focused on uh, setting the record straight as you see it and exposing the extremist Tea Party fanatics. And uh, Exactly. And also what you see in comparison to what's happening in America and what happened back during the rise of Hitler. So let's, before we get into more of a discussion about your book, let's just learn about you, Jack. Tell us about yourself. Okay. I was born in 1921, so I'm 91 years old. Wow. I'm still working full-time at my insurance job, plus writing books. Obviously, I don't sign anyone because they're working all the time, keep me busy. <laughs> and when I wake up in the morning, I don't have to, I don't have to know that I'm going to be bored the rest of the day. I have a busy day every day, and that's what's keeping me healthy. Great for you. So uh, you you were born in France, raised in Monte Carlo, and you were during, you joined the French resistance against the Nazis. Uh, tell us about what you saw at that time, uh, how it compares today. Well, the, the French resistance at the beginning was very poorly organized, and we, we, didn't, we really didn't do much. I hate to put it that way, but uh, the Communist Party was rather strong at that time. And because uh, Hitler and Stalin had signed that uh, non-aggression pact, the communists were on the side of Hitler. Sounds strange, but that's who it was at that time. It's only when uh, Hitler invaded the USSR that the communists joined the French resistance. And since they were a sizable part of the French population, at that time, the French resistance became became more, more organized or disorganized, depending which way you look at it. I, I didn't really have to do, I didn't do very much. I was more in the information side of the resistance, and I was assigned to the casino of Monte Carlo, of all places, whereby I could observe uh, the French collaborators and, uh, I hate to say, the, the prostitutes who, who were what kind of part of the resistance because they were getting right. information from now, the Germans. Now, as you look at that, that experience of yours, and then you look at what's happening today, uh, tell us why you feel you're seeing Hitler, all kind of Hitler tactics all over again here in this country now. Because especially since the Tea Party has been there, 
I, I reckon they're exactly the same worries. They, they talk about value, and they really don't have any idea what value is, but they keep talking about value and God and religion and, and uh, to keep the communists away from the government. They, they call Obama a socialist. He certainly is not a socialist. He's a, he's a, he's a mid, mid, mid-round person. But they use exactly the same scare tactic as the French Nazi or the Italian Nazi or all the Nazi in Europe were using to try to promote a, a system based on, on what Hitler was, was talking about. It's the same tactics all over again. When you listen to Rush Limbaugh or Glenn Beck talk, I, I think I'm listening to the, to the same people that I was listening to when I was a young man in, in Europe. And you have That's a, what I'm trying to avoid. Right, and you have a problem with this theme that you hear, American exceptionalism. Why is that? Say that again. You have a problem with what we're hearing uh, from uh, Tea Party people and from uh, uh, conservative commentators about America's exceptionalism. That's right, because those, those also were the same terms that Hitler used in, uh, in Germany. He told the Germans that they were the exceptional Aryan race. The same words. And he was trying to, to, to tell the Germans that I saw the Aryan race, that no, nobody was any good. That's a little bit what the American exceptionalists are doing. They're trying to paint a picture that outside of the United States there is, there's no civilization whatsoever, that, uh, that we are a divinely chosen country. We're not a divinely chosen. We're just a country, period. We're a free country, and we want to keep it that way. Well, you're, you're also against the evangelical, the church movement. That's, that, that is right. The church has a, has a very right place in, in, in this country, but it should be just to teach religion and to attend their, 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 their faithful. Religion should have no right to tell people what they should do, how they should vote, what they should believe in, abortion or not abortion. That is none of their business. They should just restrict themselves to teaching religion during the service and, and to do whatever good they can do. They should not have a right to, to back any party, whichever party it is. And you're very much in favor of changing the IRS tax tax rates so that all earnings are taxed equally instead of favoring some investors, as you say it. Yeah, I think I and millions and millions of Americans feel the same way, that there's no way why somebody who needs to work to make a living should be taxed at a higher rate than somebody who does not have to, to work. Like Mitt Romney admitted he hasn't worked for the last 10 years. Well, that's good for him. But most people did have to work for the last 10 years, and there's no excuse for them being taxed higher than the people who do not work. Why are you in favor of a single nationwide primary day? Because since I've been in this country, primaries have become more and they last longer and longer. Before the primary, we even have what I call a pre-primary, which lasts about one year with all sorts of money pouring in from everybody who, who has it, especially since the uh, Supreme Court allowed corporations to give all the money they want. 
and 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 it's just a farce. I mean, we have all our senators and the president going around the country working on re-election when they should really be in Washington working on solving our problem. I don't quite understand why a state should be called a key state like Ohio. Why would that state be more important than any other state? It should be one one day of the year when when we vote for whoever we want the candidates to be, and that would eliminate all the corruption, not all of it, but most of the corruption that's taking place. And you'd like to change the way campaigns are financed. That's right. Campaigns, should, they should not be any any personal or corporation or union contribution to, to a campaign. It should just be part of our income tax could be allocated ten bucks or whatever it takes to to do it to pay for all the all all the campaign and it should be restricted. Most of the country their campaign lasts about two months at the most two or three months, and they don't have those farces that we have here to always be in an election or pre-election campaign and to listen to our senator and congress telling us they can't vote this year because there's an election coming up. That's a bunch of baloney. And you also feel very strongly about all Americans voting. In fact, uh, you have a very different uh, directive. If somebody doesn't vote, what happens to them? Well, in Australia, if somebody doesn't vote, they are fine, period. It's considered part of our duty we are lucky that we're in a free country where we can vote, and there's no excuse for somebody not voting. Although if they don't vote, they should not first, but they do. So uh, I don't know if the Congress ever would, would, would sign something to find somebody who doesn't vote, but we should find a way to... It's, it's a shame that only 50% of our people seem that it's important to vote for also the election. Okay. And you have some very strong feelings as well about the war on drugs. That's right. My 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 son died of drug at age thirty four, even though I had rehabilitated him completely. Then he got he, he, he got started again, he died. Before he died, he told me himself that the, and he was very active in trying to when he was suffered to try to stop drug. He even told me himself that he was approached while he was in school by people who were pushing the drugs. And once he got hooked, he was hooked. He even told me that uh, the only way we're going to stop that thing is to to legalize it. I'm not pushing drugs, but I never used drugs myself. But legalizing would, would eliminate the crime part. It would not eliminate the addiction, but it will eliminate the, the crime. We spent $50 billion a year or so, we haven't done a damn thing. There's still all the drugs you want in the country and even more. And we are the number one drug user in the world. I mean, we, it's a big failure. we got to change it. Why do you see Sweden as a model for even America? Why do I see as a model? Right. I see Sweden. And what are they doing that we're not doing and you believe we should be doing? I think, uh, have you ever been in Sweden? I've been there several times, and I like to go again. It's a capitalist system, but it's a, what I call social capitalism. Where you, uh, there's a lot of rich people in Sweden, but they cannot. Have, there are laws, regulations that prevent the abuse that we have in this country, 
and and you would never hear a Swede telling you that we should uh, we should decrease taxes on the millionaire in order to to, to solve a problem. Uh, they have a social behavior that's entirely different from ours, and they are so successful that their their budget is in the black, in spite of all those benefits they give. They're in the black. Their exploitation are in the black. It's a small country of nine million, but they have they have shown the world so much progress, so many scientists. It's a fantastic country. Everybody seems to be happy. There are no ghettos. There are no poor people, and they're rich people. They they're not they're not slave. They're not they're not Marxist. They're not socialist at all. They are free. You have a very interesting approach to Congress declaring war, and and what would need to happen if Congress declares war, from your point of view? Well, it would be nice if they declare war, if the first people that would be sent to the front line would be their own children. Uh, Right now, with a few exceptions, very few of those congressmen or senators send their own son to the war. You know, before, when World War II was here in this country and everywhere in the world, everybody participated buying bonds or raising taxes. Right now, we have war, but we don't really know anything about it. A few, a few of our soldiers are fighting over there, and everybody else wants to keep living their normal life as if there was no war. And certainly... Uh, we don't seem to worry too much that some poor suckers are, are being killed while our own sons are being safe in this country. It, it, it shouldn't be that way. So from your point of view, Jack, how do we, uh, how does America get back to the level of fervor that you talk about in 2008 when so many supported President Obama? Well, that, that's a tough part, see? Uh, the conservative talk radio is very strong in this country, and 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 because the churches are are helping them, it makes it. Uh, we have a lot of people in this country who are very very religious, and they they are influenced by their pastors or priests or wherever they are to vote a certain way, and that that means that about forty percent of the population. Every time there's an election, vote against himself, period. How are we going to change it? Number one, by by forcing churches to respect the separation of state and church, and by charging them income tax if they don't. By the way, if we did that, it probably would, would, would take care of our deficit. That, that's the main problem I can see. So again, as we stated at the beginning, your book, really, the theme of your book is if we want to preserve our freedom, re-elect President Obama. Definitely. And it's going to be a long fight. It's going to mean that all the people who help him in the last time have to decide to vote and, and not listen to the thing that he has not done anything, which is a big lie. We've been listening to Jack P. Ferraris. He is the author of his book, Obama 2012, For a Compassionate America. Jack, tell us how to get your book. Well, it can be ordered all over the Internet on Amazon.com or BarnesandNoble.com or the publisher called AuthorHouse.com. 
so far they are not in the store, but I suppose the store could o- the store can order the right. book for whoever wants it. Right, the store can certainly order the book if it's requested. Well, thank you, Jack. Thanks for being with us on Author Talk. I appreciate your passion. Uh, 91 years young and still going strong. Well, thank you, Jack. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye-bye. You're listening to Author Talk. We'll be back right after these messages. Hey, moms, juggle your hats with our mom of many hats, Angie Mazzillo. Friday afternoons at 5 Eastern, 4 Central on the Mom to Mom Network. Moms are always juggling their hats. And sometimes it's easy for moms to forget their value when life calls for switching from role to role. But the ability to juggle so many hats is priceless. She is never just a mom. She's a decision maker, coordinator, creative genius, counselor, a friend, an authority, and a leader in her household. On Mom of Many Hats Radio, we'll be talking about the hats that you as a mom juggle. We'll acknowledge your importance and support in helping you and all moms to not just defend your value, but to believe in your value. For more on the show and Angie, check out her website, azmamamanyhats.com. She is a strong woman. She is powerful. She is wonderful. And she is valuable. Mom of Many Hats with Angie Mazzillo. Friday afternoons at 5 Eastern, 4 Central on the Mom to Mom Network. Girlfriended is on Toginet. Thursdays at 10 a.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Central with your hosts, Patty Wyatt and Lisa Jernigan. This show is your chance to share, learn, laugh, and connect with other women. The girlfriended principle was born out of loss. Lisa had recently had her mother pass away from cancer, and my mom um, was murdered. A man just walking into a room and started a 23-second shooting spree. I think one of the things we both realized going through those tragedies is that you can be extremely okay and be extremely sad. Check out girlfriended.com. And then be a part of Girlfriended, the radio show, Thursdays at 10 a.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Central. You know, your boyfriend or, or your husband or whatever, they don't totally understand that emotional side to a woman like another woman does. And I think that's so important just to have somebody that you go, she gets me. Check out the website, girlfriended.com. Don't miss Girlfriended with Patty Wyatt and Lisa Jernigan, Thursdays at 10 a.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Central on toginet.com. Welcome back to Author Talk. Brought to you by Author House. Helping authors publish, promote, and sell their books around the world. The title of the book, Change Your Diet, Change Your Health. How Food Can Maintain Our Health or Cause Disease. And the author is Dr. Jorge Bordenave. And Dr. Bordenave joins us now on Author Talk. Hello, Dr. Good afternoon. How are you doing today? Well, great to have you with us, and you're going to help us uh, have greater, better health if we'll just listen. And you have a very comprehensive book that details all the do's and the don'ts. Let me read just a couple things to uh, give an overview of what you have uh, written. You asked the questions, uh, what did you eat last night? Obviously, very important. Most people, unfortunately, don't think about it too much. But what did you eat last night? Would you like to feel better and have more energy without without having to take any medications? You also say this about your book, How Nutrition in Our Daily Diets is the Main Cause of Most of the Chronic Illnesses We See in Society, Disease that Range from Heart Disease, Diabetes, Obesity, Alzheimer's Disease, and Cancer. 
Well, that's uh, obviously a very uh, short, alarming list, and you say it all points to how we eat. Yes, it has to do with chronic inflammation, and this is nothing new. We've known for many, many years that the root cause of many of our diseases has to, be, has to do with chronic inflammation. And chronic inflammation is a state that is acquired throughout time, and the most important factor that leads to chronic inflammation is the quality of our nutrition and the foods that we have been eating. And it sort of parallels the Second World War, where the development of the franchise fast food industry, if we take it from World War II to where we are now, we have seen a continued elevation and increase in the epidemics of chronic diseases. And it sort of parallels the changing eating patterns that we have had. During the research of this book, I realized that during the Second World War, people had what used to be called victory gardens. They were very popular in schools and churches and in people's homes. People would raise and grow their own vegetables and their own little crops so they could eat. They were eating healthier, more organic type of uh, foods. After World War II, with the uh, surplus foods that we had, with the technologies that we had developed throughout the war, we had the development of fast food, the franchise, automobiles uh, became more popular, the interstate highway, so we were more of a mobile society. We needed to have, everything was fast. Fast foods, we wanted to come in, we wanted to go out, we wanted to like keep on moving, and that's when our diet and the quality of the foods that we started eating changed. And from then on, because of the increase in the processed foods, the foods that are fried, that have a high light of calories, trans fats, that has contributed to the development of inflammation. And again, inflammation can lead from diabetes to obesity, cardiovascular disease, stroke, dementia, Alzheimer's, and even cancers. These are all proven factors that is an underlying cause for all of these diseases, chronic inflammation. Doctor, before we continue on, tell us a little bit about your background. Okay, I was a cardi. Well, I am a cardiologist in South Florida for 15 years, and uh, I started seeing a lot younger patients coming into the practice that had multiple medical issues, not just one or two different things, but patients in their 30s, 40s, with high blood pressure, diabetes, cholesterol problems, many more having acute coronary syndrome, heart attacks in their 40s, 50s with stents. And the typical way we treat patients here in the United States is giving them more medications. It seems that for every symptom or every complaint, there's a medication that we prescribe. So I thought there had to be a better way. So a friend of mine one day asked me what I knew about integrative medicine. And I had never even heard of the word integrative medicine. So I asked him what it was. And as a good physician that he is, he didn't tell me. He says, no, you have to go and look it up and you do your own research. So being a curious person, I did. I went online and I looked at what integrative medicine was and I realized that this is the way that medicine should be practiced. It's treating the patient as an individual and the whole person from mind, body, spirit. It's not just prescribing medications, but it's addressing the underlying cause that each individual may have that causes them to be out of balance. And out of balance produces illness. So I recognize that the University of Arizona is like the premier place in the United States where they teach integrative medicine. They've been doing this for over 10 years. It's where Dr. Andrew Weil works, where he founded the Center for Integrative Medicine. So I thought it was something that I wanted to learn because I'm always interested in keeping up learning. So I enrolled in another fellowship, and I did two years of integrative medicine fellowship at the University of Arizona. So for the first time in 15 years of private practice, 
in all my medical school training, cardiology training, for the first time was when I first learned about the importance of nutrition and diet in either maintaining health or causing disease. So I was fascinated by it, that something so simple, something that we do so frequently can impact our health and our lives in such a drastic way. So when I graduated, I came back, I just started researching it and I found out more information and I was just enthralled with it. So I started sharing this with my patients who are mainly Hispanic, Spanish speaking. So they were the ones who said, you know what, you have so much good information that you should put it down in a book form, which is what I did. So I wrote two books in Spanish. One is called The Anti-Inflammatory Diet, but it's in Spanish. And then the other one is Change Your Diet, Change Your Health. I wrote it in Spanish. But then my English-speaking patients were very interested in what I had to say in the message, and therefore I translated it and I wrote it into English. And Change Your Diet, Change Your Health is the book that just came out maybe about three or four weeks ago in English, and uh, that's where I'm at right now. Well, it's very comprehensive. Uh, part one, does it have a theme at all? Uh, what's, the, what's the focus of part one? Well, I just try to make people understand the concept of inflammation, what it is, the different types of inflammation. Acute inflammation is something that we all see and notice when we like scrape our, our, our knees or we shave and we have an abrasion or we scratch ourselves. It's an immediate response that the body has. It's a good thing to try to control any possible infection that may occur, stop the bleeding. So that's acute inflammation. Chronic inflammation is typically what happens within our bodies that we really can't see. And it's when the body sometimes continues the inflammatory process to prevent damage from ongoing. But instead of shutting off after the process is eliminated, it continues to go and proceed at a lower type of level. So you have inflammation going on chronically all the time, all the time. And something feeds this chronic inflammation that it can't shut off. And we're finding that among many different things, you have toxins, environmental toxins, you have cigarette smoke, anxiety, stress, among these different factors that produce ongoing inflammation that the body can't shut itself off, diet and nutrition and the composition of the food that we're eating also contributes very, very highly to the ongoing process of inflammation. So all this processed food, all this fat food, as we often call it, this fast food diet that so many are involved with, uh, this, uh, you have a, a title in uh, the part one. It says, How Fat Tissue Causes Inflammation. So why is that so important to understand? Because it's like a vicious cycle. The fatter we get the more inflammation it causes. And I don't know if some people have seen people who are walking around that are really, really obese. They have like a big belly. Well, they have fat underneath that belly. It's the fat accumulating in the internal organs of the abdomen, and that's called the omentum. The omentum fat is very, very metabolically active. So it produces and it liberates a whole bunch of different substances and hormones, cytokines, that are substances that are pro inflammatory that just continues to produce inflammation. So that's why the fatter tissue that we have, the more levels of inflammation we have. And again, inflammation in the short term is good. It's protective. It's something that we need. But inflammation in the long term is something that damages our organs. Plus, fat cells have a lot of uh, different hormones that get liberated, such as leptin and resistant. And these are different chemicals that either make us feel hungrier, 
or make us feel like we're full. So depending on how much fat we have, we can even eat more than we need to because these hormones play a role in making us feel hungry. And that's what I explain in the first part. It's just like the basic understanding, and it's written in a language where anybody can understand it. I've taken pretty hard material maybe that some people may not understand it, but I've synthesized it and I've written it down in a, in a form that anybody can just read it, and it's like a really good story. It's interesting, if anything. So part two is what we should be doing, how we should eat. I see the uh, different titles. I see the word diet mentioned quite a few times. Yeah. Well, I speak about the HCG diet, which at least in South Florida is something that people are flocking to. They think it's very popular, and this is the human chorionic gonadotropin, which is a hormone that pregnant women make from the placenta when they're pregnant. So what they're doing is they're administering this either injection-wise or in tablet form, and they're charging a pretty penny for people who want to lose some weight, and they're saying that this hormone administered will help you lose weight. But the thing is that this hormone is injected or it's taken in pill form. It doesn't really work is associated at the same time with a 500-calorie diet. So what's really working? Is it the hormone or is it the fact that the person who is undergoing this diet is also made to consume a 500-calorie diet, which is extremely low, plus they have to exercise. So in my opinion, it does not work. The FDA doesn't recognize it as working. The American Medical Association calls it flat-out quackery. So we have to get the idea that this diet, a short-term fix, is going to be something that's going to be beneficial for all of us. I also write about the celebrity-endorsed type of meals that we see on TV from like maybe Weight Watchers or some other national brand. Well, the only thing they provide is convenience. Not all my patients have the money to be able to afford a trainer to be able to eat that way, and nor do we have to. All these meals provide is convenience in that they are smaller portion sized and the food that comes prepackaged is of low calorie, low fat content. So this is something that we all can do by choosing the right foods. So the second part is more or less an introduction as to the different types of meals, different types of macronutrients. We should not limit fats. We shouldn't limit proteins or carbohydrates. What we should do is try to learn to identify the better quality fats, better quality carbohydrates, and the better quality proteins, and consume all from all three food groups. And is the color of the vegetable important? The darker the color, the better for you? Well, absolutely. color of fruits and vegetables indicate the different natural antioxidants that is contained in that fruit or vegetable, what we call phytonutrients. Phytonutrients is natural antioxidants. So if you ever go to a, a, a supermarket and you see produce, yellows, the oranges, the browns, the greens, the beautiful different shades of, of colors, each one of them are of that color because of the specific type of phytonutrient they contain. So what is recommended is that we choose among everything. Don't limit yourself to the maybe oranges, or bananas, or red apples, or strawberries, but try to consume a variety because they all contain different phytonutrients and different concentrations. Now, of all of the uh, fruits in the section, 
like you had mentioned, the ones that have the highest content of phytonutrients are the blackberries and the blueberries. They're very, very good for you. So I also mentioned in the book, sometimes they might be expensive, but you can go to farmer's markets or you can wait for them to be on sale. You can buy a bunch of them when they're on sale, freeze them, and then you have them there and you thaw them out and you can eat them. So there's various ways uh, people who are on a limited budget can consume these healthier, less processed, more organic type of foods. And that's basically what it is. I don't think after 15 years of, of dealing with people that we can change a lifetime of bad habits. But if we can make at least one change at a time, little by little, and just start off by recognizing that our food and nutrition is like a medication because the definition of a medication is any substance that when it is ingested into the body, it changes your physiology and your metabolism. And food does that. So we need to remember that food is a medication, that if we abuse it, it can hurt us, just like any medicine, or if you use it wisely, it can help us stay healthy. And again, one of the reasons I wrote the book is because um, I make rounds in hospitals, and I'm seeing a lot of people in the hospitals hooked up to machines and ventilators and in really bad condition that should have never been in the situation that they're in if they only knew to take better care of themselves. So it's sort of like a wake-up call. And it really is simple, hard to do, but a simple diet of fruits and vegetables and uh, I guess uh, not as much meat as most people eat. And what about water? We've, we've got about a minute left before we find out how to get your book, doctor. Give us the, your take on how much water we should take in. Well, water is very good. You should just drink as much water as you can, flush your kidneys out. Now, I have patients who have congestive heart failure that have weak heart muscles that maybe can't consume that much water. But what I'm trying to suggest is to avoid drinking the sodas, the uh, fruit juices that come with a lot of sugars and, 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 and sweeteners in it. It's always better to consume an orange because you have the pulp, there's no added sugar, than orange juice, even the ones that we buy at the store that come from concentrate. They have a lot of sugar in it. They have a lot of additives. So if you have to choose between both, an orange is better, banana is better, strawberries are better, better than the, the juice. So water to flush yourself out, drink as much as you can if you have no heart issues, and stay to, to, towards natural types of fruits to consume uh, as opposed to juices. And also teas are very good, green tea, white tea, black tea. They also contain a lot of phytonutrients. So I would suggest alternating water with some teas. The natural teas that you have to boil in water, not the tea drinks. Because again, if one would like, just take a look at the nutritional content of it, you're going to be surprised how much sugar and preservatives they contain. We've been listening to Dr. Jorge Bordenave. He is the author of his book, Change Your Diet, Change Your Health, How Food Can Maintain Our Health or Cause Disease. Doctor, tell us how to get your book. Yep, it's on Amazon.com and BarnesandNoble.com. You just Google in the name, Change Your Diet, Change Your Health, or you can just plug in my last name, which is B as in boy, O-R, D as in David, E-N-A, V as in Victor, E, and you can see it there, or at DrBordenave.com. There's different areas that you can buy it, and also certain Barnes & Noble bookstores will carry it for you, or they can order it for you. Thank you, Doctor, for being with us on Author Talk. Thank you very much. It was my pleasure. You're listening to Author Talk. We'll be back right after these messages. 
Whether you're four and a half or 100, you can retrain your brain. Learning RX, the radio show, is on toginet.com, Thursday mornings at 8 a.m. Central Time with Martin Kruger. Learning RX programs are quick, they're efficient, they're life changing, and they're permanent. Unlike tutoring, cognitive skills training or brain training targets the root issue causing learning struggles. Time and money spent on chronic tutoring is a clear signal of cognitive skill deficiency. That's where Learning RX comes in. Call today, 903 617 6899. 903 617 6899. Then join us for the show here every Thursday morning at 8 a.m. And take advantage of the power it holds to improve your life. There are so many brain training issues that Learning RX can help you with. It's not a product, it's an experience. So join us for Learning RX, the radio show with Martin Kruger. Thursday mornings at 8 a.m. Central on Toginet.com. Is there more living for you to do? Yes. Start living inspired. Be here for Living Inspired with Trisha Goyer. Thursday afternoons at 4, 3 p.m. Central on toginet.com. Trisha will dig deep into topics that matter most to women, inspiring women to make a change in their own lives and to make a difference in the world, and maybe even deep within their own hearts. Trisha is a wife, mom, speaker, family expert, and author of 24 books. For more information on Trisha and Living Inspired, go to her website, trishagoyer.com. That's T-R-I-C-I-A-G-O-Y-E-R.com. Trisha's vision is to be the voice of hope and possibility for women of all ages. Her intention is to serve ordinary women by encouraging extraordinary things with God's help. Trisha expresses real life, real hope for real women. Is there more living for you to do? Yes. Start living inspired. Living Inspired with Trisha Goyer. Thursday afternoons at 4, 3 p.m. Central on toginet.com. Welcome back to Author Talk, brought to you by Author House. Helping authors publish, promote, and sell their books around the world. The title of the book, How Winning the Lottery Changed My Life. Windfall, a Blessing or a Curse? And the author is Sandra Hayes. And Sandra joins us now on Author Talk. Hello, Sandra. Hi. Great to have you with us. Uh, what a roller coaster ride this is. Uh, your book is filled with the account of what, what went on, the emotional ride, and of course, the reality show you were part of. Let me read what you've written. Uh, what if you suddenly acquired a windfall of money and maybe a little fame? How would it change your life? This is my story, a true story of how my life changed since winning the lottery in April of 2006. And, of course, it also includes this controversial reality show uh, called Million Dollar Christmas, which aired uh, uh, in 2007, the next year, and also of how that reality show uh, kind of sent you on an emotional roller coaster ride that you hadn't anticipated at all. And, and we're going to learn about how your life changed and answer the question, a blessing or a curse. So... Take us back, Sandra. How did this all come to pass? Well, basically, uh, it started off basically one day. I was kind of upset because I knew that um, I had a, a student loan. Well, not a student loan. I had three student loans due. And I knew the job I was working on they could not afford me to repay this student loan because you have to pay. My payment would have been like $400 a month. And I'm making less than $26,000 a year. And then I um, have a chronic illness um, called lupus, 
which, you know, had me somewhat, um, you know, disabled at times. And so I knew in order to pay back this student loan in a timely manner, I would have to get a second job. And so I was upset because I'm a, I was a single mom, and I'm like, oh, my God, what am I going to do? I can't afford to pay this loan back without working a second job. And I sort of, you know, just kind of told told this, you know, to God. I was talking to him, and I knew you know, in my mind that, you know, everything was going to be all right. I hadn't anticipated me winning the lottery. And so, you know, as I quoted in my in my book, you know, basically, you know, uh, when life gives you, serves you lemons, you make lemonade. And that was my conclusion to the problem. And I had noticed that I had applied for different jobs because I wanted to make more money and I never got the jobs. And so in my mind, it was like, that's okay. You know, God has something better for me. So I heard that um, when the lottery is high, my coworkers would um, pool together and they would play the lottery. And I was wondering, how come you never asked me to play? And so I approached one of the people who were like the head of this um, pooling. And I asked him, I said, next time you play, would you please ask me? You guys are forgetting about me. And he apologized. He said, "We." He said it's not intentional. He's like, because I sat way in the back of the office. He's like, you know... Sometimes I just forget to come back there and ask you. And he's like, next time we play, well, I'll make sure you're at. And so the next day, um, you know, one of the another head of the lottery group came and asked me, uh, did I want to play? And I told him yes. And I assumed they he wanted a dollar, but it turned out they were going to play five dollars. You know, everybody had to donate five dollars because they wanted to buy a lot of tickets. I gave the five dollars. And so um, I, that night, um, we won the lottery. I didn't know about it. I didn't watch the news at night, and I did not watch the news that morning, okay, because I was running late to work. And so I'm trying to rush because my start time is eight, was 8.30, and it was like 8.15. And um, about 8.35, I received a phone call from my supervisor. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, I'm in trouble, you know. And so she's like, you know, had I watched the news? And I told her no. And she's like, are you coming in? And I'm like, yes, you know. And so she's like, okay, I need to talk to you when you get here. And I'm like, okay. And so I'm running, trying to comb my hair and, um, you know, grabbing my purse. And my supervisor called again. And this was about, I guess, 845. And she's like, you know, um, I, I need to talk to you. And I'm like, oh, boy, I'm, I'm in trouble. <laughs> You're in trouble. So, yeah, so she asked me to uh, have a seat. And so I told her, okay, I'm sitting down, but I wasn't. <laughs> I, was, I was, you know, grabbing my purse. And so that's when she told me that I won. And I'm like, I won what? <laughs> she's like, you won the lottery. And I'm saying to myself, you know, uh-uh, this is a joke. I'm dreaming. And so after she she told me, I didn't believe her. You know, I'm like, and if I did win, how did she know I even played? Because we played, you know, during lunch. So anyway, um, that's when my daughter called. And um, she asked me, she said, Mom, she said, um, uh, people are talking about um, social workers at your job who won the lottery. 
And she's like, Mom, she said, did you play the lottery? And I told her, yes, I did. And she's like, you're kidding me. I'm like, no. <laughs> and she started screaming, we're rich, we're rich, we're rich. And she's like, oh, excuse me, you're rich. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, I'm, I still don't believe it. I'm like, I'm dreaming. And so as I was walking out the door, one of my coworkers who didn't play the lottery called. And she's like, girl, she said, don't you know you won the lottery? And I'm like, yeah, right, whatever. And she's like, you did. And basically, she asked me, do I need her to come pick me up? She'll pick me up and take me to work. She's like, but it's going to cost you $100. And I'm like, you know, at that point, I had, I kind of got an attitude. I'm like, you know, this is enough. Yeah. So as I'm driving to work, she calls me again. You're not here yet? I'm like, no. You. And she's like, you need to hurry up and get to work now. And I'm like, you know, I only live like basically 15 minutes away from the job and so I told her I'll be there in a few minutes and when I did arrive I noticed the parking lot was not crowded with people and that's unusual because I worked for the Department of Social Services and you always have clients outside or co-workers on the smoke break so I walked into the building and um, as I'm walking down the main corridor towards my office the door opened and a group of people ran out, and they grabbed me, and some people were pinching me and rubbing all on me, and I'm like, you know, <laughs> I, 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 I really, I had an attitude. I'm like, you know, what is going on? And so they dragged me in, into, you know, the office, and so I did my normal routine. I went to my desk. I put my purse in my desk drawer, and I was getting ready to turn on my computer when my, um, you know, coworker, came to me, and she grabbed me and drug me into my supervisor's office. And so my supervisor, you know, she was smiling from ear to ear, and they basically dragged me into um, my office manager's office. Now, mind you, he was one of the people who, who played the lottery and won. So when I walked into his office, or rather I was drugged into the office, there was a man standing there talking to him who I've never seen before. And my office manager was like, you know, really, you know, red. And it looked like, you know, he had tears in his eyes and he was smiling. He had a Cheshire cat smile on his face. And I'm like, uh-uh, you know, something is going on, you know. <laughs> and that's when he, he told me that, you know, we won the lottery. And he's like, the man who's standing in here, he's the lottery commissioner. And the man introduced himself. And so he was like, you know, I'm glad you made it. He says, because you need to leave. And he's like, you know, everybody is going to an attorney's office in Clayton, Missouri, because the news media are on their way to this office, hoping to talk to, you know, us. And so the lottery commissioner man said that we weren't allowed to speak to the media until that ticket was validated. Right. And they ha have to validate that this is an original, you know, ticket. And so that's that's what uh, we did. Um, one of my coworkers who won, she was at the office, and I'm like, you know, I I, I can't drive because I, you know, once I realized <laughs> that we won the lottery, I immediately went into a state of shock, hmm. and so I couldn't drive. So she drove me, and we went to the office. We stayed there basically all day long until that ticket was validated and they found out nobody owed any type of liens. Because if you owe any type of money, whether it be back child support, let's say you lost a lawsuit right. 
whatever. That came out of that check first. And so everybody was cleared. And then they asked uh, us permission to present um, the news to the media and to be interviewed by the media. Well, see, everybody had to agree to it or else it couldn't, it wouldn't have been done. And so we all agreed. And so we went into um, a hotel, and I couldn't even tell you the name of the hotel. Um, we went into like a huge, you know, um, conference room that had a stage and, you know, I, they had um, like little hors d'oeuvres and it seemed to me like it was like a million people in the room, a million cameras. And I felt like I was walking down the red carpet because everybody was snapping pictures. And yeah. so we went on stage. You were in the limelight instantaneously. Yes. Yeah. Now let's we we've got to cover a few more things here. Uh, then you decided to participate in a reality TV show. This show that was called. Let's see, what was the title of it? Million Dollar Christmas. Million Dollar Christmas, which was going to focus on four out of the thirteen. Uh, you were promised, or you in doing this, what you were told what the show was going to be like. What was it supposed to be like? Well, this was a show that was going to be based on, you know, new lottery winners' first Christmas as millionaires. And so, um, basically, you know, we each had our own little storyline. And I want to kind of back up a little bit. Every, all 13 people had an opportunity to participate in the show. But a lot of people, you know, immediately went underground once they won. And it was four of us that agreed to do the show. And so, basically, uh, my show uh, turned out to be controversial. Why is that? Well, if you are filming and you give, um, with me, I did not give a lot of personal information about myself. Um, they asked you a lot of questions. They wanted to know, um, you know, who I made donations to, blah, you know, personal questions, which at that time I did not want to divulge for, you know, personal reasons as to what I actually did with my money. And so basically what they did, they followed me around eight hours a day. Um, I'm saying for 20 days, it may not even been 20 days, but basically they followed me around. Um, they would come over and they would say, well, today we're going to go and, um, we want you to, you know, go test drive a car. Um, and they named certain cars and I'm like, no, 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 I just bought a car, you know? So we wound up going to a Mercedes dealer and, um, I test drove, a. uh, what was it a truck? No, it was a car. And so, um, so that's what we filmed. We went to a restaurant that was filmed. I gave a Christmas party for my uh, former coworkers that was filmed. Some of them were interviewed individually. I did a lot of different things. I went to the store, bought um, toys for my my grandchildren and family, and then um, those did not make it, you know, in the reality show, okay? What made in, what, what made it into the reality show was when I went and bought Christmas decorations to decorate my, my house. And so basically, out of all the tape that was rolled, they chose what, what was to go into the show. 
and it's a lot of cutting and pacing sure. and, and rewriting. And they also interviewed your sisters. Right. They definitely interviewed my sisters, but they did not interview my sisters around me. They um, had my sisters go downtown to a hotel into a room, and they asked my sisters, you know, questions. Uh, some of them were hypothetical. Some of them were, you know, real questions. And so out of all the questioning, um, they elected to, to only put, you know, certain things they said into the show. And so it made my, you know, sisters look like, you know, they were jealous of me. And it made it seem like I was this selfish individual, which I'm, I wasn't. You know, as I stated, I gave my sisters what I, you know, gave them monetarily and did things. I did things for them. But that was not elaborated. Okay, on right. the show. So it turned into a really controversial, and it also estranged you from your sisters for about a year? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah until I heard their side of the yeah. story. And the reason why is because I had, you know, people like radio personalities mm -hmm. trying to capitalize, you know, their ratings all based on making fun of me. Right. And so how I found out is because people were calling me. And uh, they they were upset at, at, you know, the individuals, and they stopped listening to their radio stations. They started listening to their competitors' stations instead. Mm -hmm. But the main thing that really happened on the show was the fact that my son and I, uh, we were, you know, at my house down in my basement. And so uh, my son works nights. Um, he's been working this particular, at, for this particular company for, like, it's going on eight years now, and uh, he works night. He's a supervisor. So, of course, he's going to be home during the daytime when they're filming. Okay, my son did have an aspiration of, you know, becoming a, 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 a rapper. Okay, this was like basically a hobby at that time. And so when they interviewed him, that's what he told them. And so um, I'm going to get straight to the point. My son, he at that time, he was living with me, okay? I allowed him to stay a couple of months until he got on his feet and can, you know, move into his own place. So we were sitting down and we were having a talk, and somehow there was some miscommunication between my son and I. And, you know, I think a lot of it had to do with some pride, false pride that he had. And so he became upset, and he went uh Store, he asked him to stop the cameras, and he went upstairs. And so I went upstairs behind him. And so we began to have a, a, a conversation that kind of, you know, got out of hand. But before it got out of hand, I told my son, I said, you need to take the microphone off because they can still hear us. And, you know, he was like, I don't care if they hear me, blah, blah, blah. And so I'm like, oh, no. So that ended up in the show, too? That ended up in the show. Oh, of course, of course. Yeah, and uh, of course, they're, they're going to add sure. you know, lip to it. Uh, Sandra, what advice would you give to others who win the lottery? Well, number one, when you win the lottery, the first thing you need to do, and this is what any attorney will tell you, you need to find a, a financial investment company and invest your money. Um, you need to set a realistic um goal of how much money you need per month to live and that's what i do i live off of a fixed income 
So meaning, whatever I get is once a month. If I blow that, it's, it's too bad. It's on me. Okay, but you learn to live within your budget. You do not live above your means because I've heard people who who won way more money than me. Um, they went broke in three years due to the fact they were not um, living, you know, within their means. Meaning, you know, they they would liquidate their assets um, and basically gave away their money, and so they went broke behind it. And that's my advice would be, you know, it's, it's okay to give to people, but uh, there's consequences to giving. It's called gift tax. So you make sure you hire a credible accountant um, that's, that, that's not going to rip you off and who's going to give you good tax advice and you listen to it and do what they recommend. You do what your financial advisors recommend. And, you know, you live your life. Um, in peace and enjoyment. You know, you do not let your head get big and filled with, with false pride. Right. You know, you remain humble, and most of all, you know, you remain, you know, in a spirit of, of grace, gracefulness, you know, with God. And, you know, you, 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 you play it back, but you give to, you know, uh, organizations that are real organizations. Mm-hmm. Not to know these rise and fly and put it in my pocket, goodbye, uh, organization. That would be my advice to people. Well, your story, as you put it in this book, includes the love I received, the hate, the hopes, and regrets that come with a life-altering change. The title of the book, How Winning the Lottery Changed My Life, Windfall, A Blessing or a Curse, Sandra Hayes is the author and the real-life a lottery winner. Sandra, tell us how to get your book. Well, you can buy the book through Amazon.com, AuthorHouse.com, Borders.com. It's okay. available on, online. Well, thank you for being with us, Sandra, on Author Talk. You're welcome. <laughs> 